So the question you asked me on the delegation was it must be one of three things, your great mentoring, your great processes or great people. And if it's only one of those three options, it's clearly the great people. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby. Today, I have something really special planned for you. Normally on the show, I interview one or perhaps two guests at any one time. Today, you're going to listen to a panel interview where I have three special guests for you. Today, I'm going to interview Joe Rice, Annie Colabella, and Matt Walsh. So if those names sound familiar, it's because all three have been guests on the podcast previously. In addition, all three of these folks are members of the Pinnacle Society. What you're about to hear is a recording of a live interview that I hosted with the Pinnacle Society, where we delved into and discussed the success secrets of top billing recruiters. So without further ado, here is the Big Biller panel. So we've got Annie Colabella, Matt Walsh, and Joe Rice. These are three exceptional human beings. They are all just good people uh, who I've had the great pleasure and honor to, of getting to know over the last couple of years. And in terms of their success in business, they're all, they all bill in excess of a million dollars per year, and they've been guests on the Resilient Recruiter podcast. So also, I need to give a mention to Alan Fisher, who's working backstage today, but his achievements are just as impressive as those of our panelists. So the big question we're here to answer is, how do Annie, Matt, and Joe achieve such remarkable results? When I was 17 years old, my dad gave me a copy of Tony Robbins' Personal Power program. And this is how long ago it was. It was on cassette tape. And I played those tapes you know, over and over and over again. And one of the ideas that has really stuck with me and, and really shaped my life is the, the idea that success leaves clues. I just really feel there's an enormous value in finding a role model someone who's already achieved the specific results that you want, and then to have the opportunity to interview them and elicit their specific strategy process, their belief system, and essentially their recipe for the result that you want. And then if you follow the exact same recipe, you should be able to produce similar results. So that's what we're looking for today is those key distinctions, the nuances, that separate these top producers from their peers. And so this is your opportunity to model success. So I wanna welcome all of our attendees and especially our panelists. Can I ask each of you guys to briefly introduce yourself like in 60 seconds or less? Matt, would you kick things off? Sure, Matt Walsh, CEO and founder of Blue Signal Search. I've been in the recruiting industry now 17 years. Uh, we're headquartered in Phoenix. We're remote, though. We're in about 23 different states, 60 total employees, 39 recruiters, 21 back office folks. All right. Over to you, Joe. All right. I'm Joe Rice. And that view you're looking out at, out my window there is the exact same as Matt Walsh's. We share an office together. Uh, I have been in the recruiting industry since 05. And um, I started JDI back in 2012. Uh, we've actually got, um, we've been growing rapidly, actually. We've grown by 25% in, in headcount this year, uh, going from four people to five. 
<laughs> and uh, so we're a we're a boutique firm, uh, but we're very proud that we have a million dollar per desk average over here. Wow, incredible! And what I want to know is how many pull ups you can do. <laughs> oh, you know, you pay me enough money, and I'll show you. No. <laughs> I, I can do a few, not many. All right, thanks, and Annie, welcome. Hi, I'm Annie Colabella. I can do absolutely zero push pull ups. Um, but I've been recruiting same amount of time as Joe and Matt. I started recruiting in 2005 and started my firm Cardea Group in 2009. And we are a boutique shop as well and have three full-time employees. I'm sorry, four full-time employees and one part-time employee. So very similar to Joe's structure. Amazing. All right. Thank you all for sharing. So um, this webinar is a co-production between our company, Recruitment Coach, and the Pinnacle Society, we uh, have the great honor uh, of having been appointed as Pinnacle Partners very recently. And so this is a fantastic opportunity for us to collaborate. But for those who don't know what the Pinnacle Society is, can I ask one of you to briefly explain the, the purpose and nature of the Pinnacle Society? Who'd like to take that one? Me. Oh, okay. Volunteers, sure. So the Pinnacle Society is a group of 80 of the nation's strongest billers in terms of recruitment billings. Uh, you have to obtain a certain amount of billings over a certain period of years. It's actually three out of five years. You need to bill on average over $500,000. And it is a group of individuals that come together. They share a lot of the same morals and ethics as it relates to recruiting. It's not just pure billings. There's also an ethics portion to being a part of the group to help elevate each other's um, recruiting game in terms of coming together, educating, sharing trade secrets, or just what's working, what's new and happening in the market, and what's changing the landscape as it relates to both client recruitment and candidate retention and everything in between. Awesome. Thanks, Annie. And so for Joe and Matt, why did you guys decide to join the Pinnacle Society? Or what? why do you remain a member of the Pinnacle Society? What do you get out of it? Well, Joe was the okay, reason Matt. that I, yeah, Joe was the reason that I joined. He actually um, recruited me and he's been in Pinnacle for a while. And it's always been on my, I mean, everybody knows Pinnacle through Danny Cahill, uh, the godfather of recruiting. If you don't know who that is, you have to look him up. He's the best. Um, and I think he evangelized Pinnacle tremendously. So I've always known about it, but, uh, I think Joe, uh, Joe, Jordan, Jeremy, some of the, the great Pinnacle members, um, talked to me about it. Joe convinced me it was great because you're around like-minded peers, uh, all going through the exact same thing, whether it's work or personal. And, uh, it's been fantastic. I've been in it a couple of years now. Um, the way Annie described it is amazing. And I hope that gets transcribed and put on the website cause that's phenomenal. Uh, what she just said. But um, it, for me, it was Joe and then just the the Pinnacle Society itself, what it stood for and how excited it was. All right, Joe. So it sounds like you're Matt's father at Pinnacle. Uh, <laughs> what was your motivation to be part of this amazing group? <laughs> well, um, you know, sometimes sometimes the son grows up to be a little taller than the father. And uh, I would say that's the case with Matt. Um, but yeah, I I joined Pinnacle because I wanted to be surrounded by really um, awesome people who were high producers in recruiting. You know, for me, um, 
I didn't expect that it also would be a place of, of growing some great friendships. Some of my best friends around the, around the country are in the Pinnacle Society. But really, I just wanted to be around great people like Annie, like Matt. I wanted to um, get better. And for me, it made sense that in order to do that, I had to be around people that were better than, than I was. And, and to Matt's point, um, I was fortunate to find out about Danny Cahill and some of his training. And, and I think the first time I ever heard about it was listening to Danny talk. And I just remember thinking, okay, I, I want to be a part of that. So, so that's, that's how that happened. Fantastic. Thanks, Joe. So listen, guys, we've got 294 people on this call, which is spectacular for a webinar. Um, I've been doing webinars for over 10 years. And uh, to get that percentage of people who register to actually attend live is unusual. So I'm, uh, I'm thrilled with that. Okay, so the majority of this call, we're going to spend discussing the DNA of a million dollar biller. Um, and so I'd like each of you in turn to just share briefly. First of all, this is a two-part question. So part A is, was there a moment when you went from good to great? And part B is, what are two or three specific things that you would attribute your success to that enable you to produce at that level consistently? So um, Matt, can I ask you to speak on that first? Of course. Um, so for me, um, I'm, I'm trying to think about the exact good to great. Um, I'm one of those that no matter how good or great I am, it can always be better. Like I, I, you know, there's more to, there's more to build. There's always something I can do better. So I'm never going to say great. Um, but I think if I was going to narrow it down to one thing, it would probably be related to my kids. Um, I had some, um, amazing kids. Uh, but there was some, some struggles and things we had to deal with where we needed multiple therapists, multiple specialists. And as a, as a father, of course, you want to be able to take care of them. I can do this. I can do it, but I'm not maybe the best person to handle this occupational therapy or this physical therapy or this speech therapy. And so I was forced to delegate my fathering is the way I looked at it. And I didn't have a choice. I kind of had to, they were the specialists. And about that same time, I was so busy with that. I kind of had to start delegating at work. And so for me, it was being forced into delegation early on. And it's hard for a type A who wants everything to be perfect. I got to, I got to impress this client impress this candidate and I got to be all over it. And for me to delegate that to somebody else was, it was a, was a struggle. So 2000, yeah, it was 2016 is when I started hiring. Uh, I was very lucky to, to hire one of my best friends and then build and then a couple marketing people and just started to kind of grow and delegate from there. So I think it was the delegation um was was one of the biggest pieces the aha moment that i can now expand and and grow um and and the other thing is when you're building on a desk and you're working on a desk there's only so many hours in the day and yes you can do 100 hour work weeks 120 hour work weeks but that's just not sustainable and so delegating you know being able to actually work less on your desk and build more at the same time is kind of one of the the, the fabrics we embrace here at blue signal and try to always get better like i said it's not great it's good but it can always be better Awesome. Hey, Matt, I'm, I want to challenge you to go a little deeper on that because I think everybody here understands the importance of delegating and, and yet not everyone is producing Matt Walsh level results. It's either the quality of the individuals you're delegating to, or it's the support that you're giving them and support and coaching and mentoring, or it's the process by which you're delegating because 
your, you know, the the growth that you've experienced and the, you know, the the billings and the results you're experiencing are on a whole nother level. And yet, you know, so so while you think about that, I want to go to Joe and find out for you, like, what was your good to great moment and what are the top two or three specific things that you think have contributed to your performance? Well, you know, I, uh, I threw this question over to my wife, you know, Hey, what, what was the moment I went from good to great? And, uh, like most good spouses, she let me know that I'm not great. (laughs) 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 Um, I say that in humor, but, um, she actually made a good point when I, when I've asked her this in the past and it kind of goes into what Matt just said, you know, those who achieve success, they never really arrive. It's an ever evolving journey. And I've had several milestones where I thought maybe I had arrived at great only to look back and realize it can get better and it also can get worse. Um, you know, 2020 was a year that humbled many of us. I faced a lot of challenges and setbacks. It made me question my greatness. And in those moments of adversity, that it's those that you truly learn about yourself. And for, for me, it was a, a group struggle. My team and I, we fought through those tough times. And in, in so doing, you know, I discovered greatness is not a static destination. It's an ongoing, never-ending process. Many people reach a point and they consider themselves good and they decide to stay there. Um, but I've come to realize that true greatness is when you think you've reached your peak, you keep striving for more. So to sum it up, my journey from good to great, you know, I, I haven't reached great. And it's been marked by realizing it's about perpetual growth, resilience never settling, always looking for ways to improve. And even when the going gets tough, you have to fight through it. So, you know, I think that's what I've learned. And, you know, a um, couple things that kind of were turning points, though. Um, I think it was 2020. You know, and I asked, you know, I've got two uh, guys on my team, Rico and Mike, that'll bill about a million this year on a solo desk. So I'm like, hey, you know, what made you guys good to great? And it was 2020. You know, we had to shut down, dig through absolute, I'll use a PC word, horse manure, and not really knowing what tomorrow will bring. Um, Rico said he just bought a house. He put a brand new roof on it. He just bought an engagement ring. And then everything came to a grinding halt. And he, he realized, if I want to get out of this, I'm the only one that can do it. And we lost all our resources. We didn't have an office manager anymore. We didn't have admin anymore. We didn't have marketing anymore. We didn't have people to do recruiting for us and we didn't have project managers. We all in our company became highly, highly accountable and we had no one to turn to to blame for any lack of results because we were all in a, in a, in a boat all by ourselves and we didn't have an oar at the time and we had to figure out how to get from where we were to where we wanted to go. And, and the look back, for me, the number one thing that elevated my production was when I became 100% accountable to my results. I wasn't accountable to anybody else. And that's the one DNA and fabric that runs through our company is a really high level of accountability. So, Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, and Joe, it's interesting that you said when your back was against the wall in 2020, that was, in retrospect, your moment or opportunity to become great because you had to, you know, build things back from the, from the ground up and ownership, like taking ownership for your results. Obviously that is a, 
that's a trait or a quality that you and your key team members possess. Um, I'd love to, I'm going to go to Annie next, but I'd love to get from Matt and Joe, any more specifics that you can share in terms of like, even whether it's with regards to your own production or whether it's team members and what you've observed, you know, uh, of the top producers versus the folks who are doing well, but you know, not at the, not at the same level. What are those top producers doing differently? I think that's what everyone here really came to, to learn, right? Um, what I've discovered from working with literally thousands of recruiters over the years is that the people, everybody on this call guaranteed is smart, works hard, is dedicated, wants success, right? Those, those are common, I bet you, to all 298 people on this call. So, and yet some people are producing five or 10 times greater results than others. So that's, that's what we're trying to figure out is for all those folks who are working hard, they're smart, they're dedicated, they want success. Um, how can they level up their results? Annie? Sure. So I might be a little less humble than the other two because I thought I was great very early on in my career. <laughs> and I really wasn't billing remotely close to a million dollars at that point. I remember my first boss, though, telling me it's going to click. One day it's going to click. And as soon as it did click, and it was, I had started my career in 2005 in Boston, moved in 2006 to start up their New York City office. And so I went back to zero. I had to start a whole new client base, um, recruiting around a whole new field and industry. And it took me about seven months in New York City. So kind of restarting my desk again, when to me it clicked. And that's that's when I thought I went from good to great. And maybe that was all the confidence I needed to take greatness to, to where I am today. But in in that instance, it was just consistent billing. Like I thought I was great as soon as I was consistently billing because that took a while for me. At that, at that point, it was um, almost two years after I had started recruiting. And even if my consistent billings were a lot less on a month-to-month basis than they are today, it's that consistency and being able to know that the work I'm putting in and the consistent cold calls into clients and candidates and target recruiting around each of my jobs and covering each of my jobs would ultimately fill those positions that I think made me a great recruiter early on in my career. Again, obviously a bit less humble than the rest. (laughs) I thought it was very good in the very beginning. Um, And then in terms of what's elevated my billings to the status that there are today, I think those are skills that I've put into place or exercises that I've done more recently in terms of changing how I recruit. So one of the biggest ones is focusing pretty narrowly in a niche. Um, So besides going from working across a whole host of industries, I focused on one industry. And then within that industry, I worked across a whole um, myriad of verticals. We are now focused on two verticals. And so to me, that has increased my billing substantially in the past five years because One great candidate, I can place at four jobs, whereas before I might have one great candidate and one job for that person. So I think Mm -hmm. to me, that's like a very simple way as to how we, myself and my team around me has been able to really elevate our billings over the past few years because we are so specialized in our niche that we can cover every job because we know almost all the players and have multiple candidates 
for each of the new roles that comes in. Attention business owners and recruitment managers. Do you want to level up your team's performance but lack the bandwidth to train them yourself? Then why not let us do it for you? Recruitment Mastery Blueprint is a comprehensive 12-week program that provides your recruiters with the specialized training they need to be successful. We'll help your recruiters to accelerate their development and maximize their billings. The 12-week program covers the full 360 degrees in three phases, candidate sourcing excellence, placement process mastery, and business development brilliance. Your team members will work directly with our expert recruitment coaches, Leanne Jones-Hunt and Julie McGrath, who have 28 years collective recruitment experience. Both Leanne and Julie have trained their own teams as billing managers and run their own recruitment businesses. Your team will attend live weekly workshops via Zoom, which are highly interactive. Plus, they'll have access to the modules via our e-learning platform 24-7. We also set weekly assignments, we critique your candidate and client email campaigns and LinkedIn outreach messages. We'll also show your team members how to integrate AI tools to save time and increase productivity. They'll probably be teaching you a thing or two by the end of this program. Your team will level up their skills, boost their confidence, and become more self-sufficient so they require less hand-holding from you, the owner. Invest in your team's development today with Recruitment Mastery Blueprint. Our next cohort starts on Monday, the 15th of January, 2024. To learn more and to register, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash blueprint. Once again, that's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash blueprint. So that's one thing. And then you had asked for other tips if you want two or three. I think. Hold, no. hold on. Hold on. Hold your horses, Andy. That's awesome. I just want to process that one for, for a second and then we'll circle back to you. Because you said something really key there, and I don't know if you, all the panelists track this, and I would suggest that all of our attendees should track it, which is how many interviews are we getting for each candidate and how many candidate interviews are we getting for each job? Is that something that you measure, Annie? No, nope. unfortunately, okay. I can't say because, that you, but... Yeah, but. so because uh, th that is a statistic that's worth looking at jobs with multiple interviews. Right. Because if you only got one candidate for a job, then you might, you know, close it or you might not. So that's worth tracking. But also, you said the opposite that because you're so specialist now, that when you find a great candidate, you can line up not just one interview, but two, three, four interviews for that individual, which just multiplies your chances of making a placement. Right. So I think that's a key distinction that is exactly the kind of thing we're looking for. Joe, how about in your practice, whether it's your own desk or, you know, your high performing team members, you know, what are some of the key distinctions that you guys have arrived at that you think allows you to perform at the level that you are? Yeah. And again, drawing on just some feedback from my team about that question. One of them is a mindset. Um, you know, Rico likes to know that when he's checking out online. He's a big time shopper. He likes shoes and jewelry and he's got a nice watch. He's, he's got more nice stuff than I do. I can promise you that he, he likes that. And he knows that he controls his own destiny and it's his work ethic and it's his mindset. So that's the number one thing. And I think we have a lot of self-limiting beliefs. So I think you have to have a mindset that there's no cap to what you can do here, but also it has to come with hard work 
I think the other thing for us is, um, and I don't know how you you quantify this, but we when we decreased our resources, we became more successful. I don't know how that's possible, but that's exactly what happened. When we stopped having somebody do our research for us and we did the research ourselves, the research got better. When we stopped, you know, pushing searches out to somebody else and having them fill the searches for us and we started filling them ourselves, we got, our recruiting got better. Um, so for us, what happened was I look back, we were relying on resources that weren't as proficient as myself or one of my team members to, to do some of the, the lion's share of this job and the job wasn't getting done. And then when we started doing it ourselves, all of a sudden it started getting done really well, but it forced us then to use tools. So there is science to this. We had to go do a lot of data grabbing. We had to build systems and processes that allowed us to access that data very quickly. Um, email, text message, LinkedIn. We have automated LinkedIn tools. We have automated emailing tools. So, so we have a lot of automated tools that we're using. And every time we get a search, we run the same process. We turn all the dials all at the same time in order to go find a candidate. And we stop being particular. A lot of recruiters get a search and they say, eh, that's a little outside my wheelhouse. I'm just going to say no, um, because we're very niched like Annie's group. And we decided, even if we get a search that's not what might appear to be a grade A search, we're going to throw one hour at every single search. So, so we just started getting in the trenches more. And I think that was a key to our success. And I think also on the biz dev side, we never stop marketing for business because it is a numbers game. The more job orders you can get, the more candidates you can get, the more interviews you can get, the more placements. And for us, it is interviews. We do, we're very unscientific in our tracking method. Mine is right here. This is going to make you laugh. This is my tracking. I circle my first time interviews and I put them on a calendar every month and I count them at the end of the month. And I know that one first time interview is worth about $6,600 in my world. And so if I can get 35 to 40 first time interviews, I'm going to bill two to 250,000 in a month. So awesome. Hey, Joe, that, that's a little slice. So the two, the two main things I'm taking away from what you just said, it's really interesting because your philosophy sounds, at least on the surface, like it's almost the opposite of Matt, because Matt's talking about, you know, the secret of his success is delegating. You're saying the secret to your success was, you know, doing more, being more self-reliant. But I think the reason for that is you've created uh, a platform where you're able to maximize the productivity of each individual and you're supporting them with uh, a robust process and, and tools. Could you share just a little bit more about the automation tools that you're using? And then Matt, will come to you to just hear your take on, you know, the two or three other keys to, to what you guys are doing at Blue Signal. Joe? Yeah, one, and one comment I want to make, you know, one thing I've learned through this process, because, you know, we were growing and building a large firm before 2020 and just destiny corrected course for us. And one thing I learned that I've always struggled with is that there actually are more than one way to slice a pie successfully. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that 
the way that we're doing it is the way everyone should do it. And the way that Matt's doing it, I have bird's eye view to that is exceptional and it's very scalable and it's awesome. So there's so many ways to slice the pie. Um, and that is absolutely true for anybody out there. I think you have to find what fits you. Um, in terms of tools, um, there are several on uh, LinkedIn. I use one called WeConnect. Um, uh, some people use Ulink, a lot of people in Pinnacle. Um, there's some automated emailing tools. I know Alan Fisher has been a big advocate of one called uh, Interstellar. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another one called SourceWhale that allows you to um, take data, whether it's from LinkedIn or from a CSV file, and upload it into one of those platforms and create a four or five or six point email that could be related to business development. It could be related to a recruiting outreach. Um, and so uh, those are a couple of, of the tools that we use on the mass email side of life. You know, there's SendGrid and there's Constant Contact. Um, so those are some of the key tools that we're using. Uh, we don't have a marketing uh, person or even a third-party marketing firm anymore. And again, that's just something we do. And we use ChatGPT to help us uh, craft really good content. And it seems to be very well received by the market. So those are just some of the tools and technologies. And the one unsung hero I have in my life is that that's not part of our team per se. We do use outsourcing to the Philippines. And again, Alan Fisher actually turned me on to a good website where you can get outsourced talent uh, for a good price. We pay them well because I think their, their work is worth it. Uh, we really respect what they do. And we have a team of people offshore, one or two people who go and gather names and email addresses and contact information. So there is quite a bit of science that goes into our caveman-like approach. Okay, awesome. Um, and by the way, Joe, I love the fact that you know how much a send out is worth to you. Sixty-six hundred dollars uh, gives you that, you know, predictability that if you schedule X number of interviews, it's going to generate Y number Y, you know, in revenue. That's cool. Um, so thanks for sharing. Matt, back to you. So the question you asked me on the delegation was, it must be one of three things, your great mentoring, your great processes, or great people. And if it's only one of those three options, it's clearly the great people. Um, I've just been very fortunate to hire uh, and surround myself with amazing people that help motivate me, help lead. Um, it, it's really remarkable, um, the amazing people that we have. So if I were to say, as I look at a blue signal recruiter, uh, and I know we were talking about stats on there. So we have, uh, I think to date, we're at about 10.2 million out of those 39 recruiters. I think we have six on track for pay setter. For us, pay setter is 300,000 or more. I'm sorry, we have six that have officially made it and we have another five or six who are on track. So um, they're, they're, they're doing well. Uh, I think our team is, is, is great, uh, phenomenal. I think if you look at some of the tools that they're using, um, I think it's our marketing. Our, our marketing team is phenomenal. I think we have about 10 people in our marketing team. If, if you look at recruiter support and marketing, uh, so we're building the brand, we're building their profiles. Um, and we, we work on it from an SEO standpoint, from an inbound lead standpoint. Uh, we want them to be known in their industry or in their niche as the best recruiter in that space. And it, it's so much different when a client calls you asking you about a search versus you cold calling them asking them about a search. Uh, we like to say, well, maybe we have room on our vendor list for you, uh, which I love saying, by the way, to a client, because most of the time that's what they're saying to us. 
Um, but <laughs> I think, I think the marketing is, is one big thing. Um, and then we do have a lot of, we have a process as well, uh, that goes from once you talk to a recruiter to then you talk, or once you talk to a client to then talking to a candidate, we have a step on the recruiter side and steps on the account management side. And there's 20 to 30 steps. And, and for the record, I've had recruiters who have declined working here because it's a lot of steps. Uh, if you ask me the, the why part, it's because we want to be the best. Uh, we want to do it the right way. Money will come as a byproduct of it. But our goal as a company is actually changing lives. It's not making placements. It's not EBITDA. It's not revenue. It's 20,000 lives changed by a certain amount of time. And so for us, there's a lot of steps on each side. I've had people from some of the Robert Halfs and some of the other big companies be like, Matt, come on, dude. I know all you got to do is send a resume to make a placement. That is a ridiculous amount of steps. I don't want to go through that every single time there's a placement. And unfortunately, that's just the way we are. That's, that's our brand. That's our name. And we've been very lucky as a result of that. Um, it might not be today, but down the road, that client or that candidate or whoever went through those steps is going to remember Blue Signal. And so a lot of our referrals, a lot of things come through. 55% of our business comes from people who have heard from us and then came back to us. So that's, that's how we're trying to build that machine. I love it. And uh, that's a takeaway right there that every single person here can utilize, which is what's your process? Have you actually mapped out step by step by step all the steps you go through to make a placement? I mean, just doing that in itself is worthwhile because then you can figure out, well, that's our recipe for success. We just need to do it that way every time. It also gives you an opportunity to look for ways to improve. Could we use one of the automation tools Joe mentioned to you know, improve certain steps in that process? Or could we outsource you know, this part to uh, a virtual assistant in the Philippines, right? It gives you... Uh, ways that you can look to optimize your process. But I love that you've got so many. Do you know how many steps specifically, Matt, you've got? It was, it's getting refined uh, as we speak, as a matter of fact, but I want to say there's about 30, 32 on each side. It's so a lot. 30, 30 on the client side and 30 on the candidate side. So there's one, 60. One has, yeah, one has 30, one has 32. And of course they, they go interact, but we do 360 yeah. deaths. Some people just do the recruiting side of it. Some people just do the account management side of it. So if yeah. you're doing both, that's 60 some steps. If you're just doing one side of it, it's 30 some steps. Got it. But in total to make a placement, it's taking 62 steps approximately. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Could you, you kind of skimmed over the marketing. What I love about this guys is that these three awesome recruiting professionals all do things very differently. And that's another takeaway is to realize there isn't just one right way of doing this, right? Uh, it's optimizing for your own goals and your own uh, way of working. So, Matt, um, you've got a team of a marketing team of ten now, but you know you've obviously grown to that point. So, what were your first few steps of really leveling up your marketing in order to uplift everybody's performance? I'll share this. I don't like sharing it, but I did it at um, Pinnacle as well. Uh, I had this aha moment where a client came to me and said, Hey, I saw your posting for this. We're looking for that person too. Can you help us? No more than two days later, a person applied to that exact same posting that I made that placement with. So I was like, Oh my gosh, what, what is going on here? A client came to me and a candidate came to me. I did nothing for this besides put out a great posting. Now this was back in 2015, maybe 14, but I was like, wow, something's working here. So in my mind, I, I got to do this every way. I got to get all the posting, the internal and the external branding that we do for each client. We try to help them with their glass door reviews. We try to help them be the best brand possible 
so that not only our candidates want to join, but in general, they have a really good view in the industry. So we want to help prop them up. You know, that is our promise to our clients is we're going to make them look better, even if they don't make a placement through us. And I started to get really down on myself because every time I got a new search, man, there goes my day. Now I got to build this deck. I got to do all this. Like I can't focus on my other searches because this new one came in. And so that's when I said, we got to hire marketing. And I was just very blessed that early on when I decided to hire marketing people, I came there, two of them came in. I was going to hire one, but two of them I liked so much. I said, you know what? Screw it. Let's hire them both. So here I am. I have one other uh, recruiter that joined me early on, Jordan. And then I have uh, two marketing people. So it's just the four of us. Uh, that was that was 2016 and what we were doing. Um, and then from there, it just built that process. So if I look at and and, and um, the way I look at this, and I really admire some of the top billers. Joe is one of my idols. He does this all the time. But he is he is a top biller who's leading by example, working harder than everybody else. And so I try to model that too. I'm going to outwork everybody else. I'm going to put in those hundred hour weeks. So long as I'm working super hard, everybody else will follow. And that started to work. But then I had this problem of, well, you got to be a CEO too. <laughs> you got to, you got to start hiring and firing and reviews. And there's all this other stuff that came into it. So I had to start building the desk. And so we had a couple project managers and other people helping my team. Um, and then now we offer this for others. So I was able to build it to a point where you have all of marketing, you have a project manager, you got to a point where there's probably only a few calls you're doing each day, but you're still able to bill a million dollar desk. Uh, and here's why. And so once I realized that worked, we tried to replicate that with others. And now we offer it to all of our employees. We'll do all the branding. We'll get PMs for you. We'll do whatever we can so that you can bill a, a ton without having to work a hundred hours a week. You can do maybe 30 hours a week, maybe 40 hours a week. Once you build this practice and get it going, we have all the resources for you. And why that's important, and many of the folks on here are probably thinking this. In the recruiting industry, there's a three, you know, 360 model. Typically, and I'm guessing probably a third of this uh, webinar, typically when a good recruiter gets awesome, they leave their company and they start their own firm. You know, that's, that's what happens. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, how, how do I avoid that? You could say, oh, you got to have some massive non-compete. Non like, no, I don't, I don't want that. So for us, uh, it's building that process, building it so that, that everything's coming to them so that they really see the value in Blue Signal. They're going to build twice as much because of all the tools and resources we offer. Therefore, it's pointless for them to go start their own thing. And if they did, by the way, I've had a couple of people I've left that did, and I support it. I tell the clients to go with them. But a lot of times the clients will say, well, Matt, I appreciate that, but we don't want that person. We want Blue Signal. We like everything that you're doing. So it's building that process that sticks, and then that will keep those top billers that want to come and then build it with you to a point where they're going to start bringing in 100 to 120% of their own billings because they built a team, because they have a headcount bonus, because they have a PL bonus. So it was supporting that model with all the marketing and operations behind it. Awesome. I love it. And I'm coming to you in a second. Uh, Matt, could you just explain what do you mean by a project manager or PM? What does that, what's that role? Yes. So my desk has gotten to a size where I actually have two of them now. But once in, in our company, once you get... Uh, I don't remember the exact metrics, but you have to have a certain amount of send outs per week. Uh, we also track those. Once you get that, we have we realize, well, a lot of your day just comes to scheduling interviews and sending out calendar invites and going back and forth for availability. And is that really the best use of a top biller? Probably not. So we get somebody as a project manager to come in. And now we have we also have fractional project managers. So some people qualify for a couple hours a day. Uh, so that person is is doing a lot of the scheduling interviews, sourcing, researching, putting in marketing requests. A lot of the administrative tasks because the best recruiters, it's administrative game. And I don't want to knock that because that's the way it is. But the best recruiters are usually good at two or three things. And most of those are about building relationships and being on the phone. So if I can build it where someone is on the phone 
closing those deals or on the relationships or building some kind of rapport or pushing the needle forward and less of the mundane administrative task, that is my goal. And so it makes one, the job more enjoyable, but two, you can build at a high level and not having to do a lot of that grunt work that sometimes gets a little tedious and folks get frustrated with. Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now, but have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service. It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from iIntro. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. I love that. So my key takeaways from you, Matt, so far is, first of all, you've invested in marketing way sooner in your growth trajectory than most companies. I mean, most big companies don't even have a marketing department like yours, let alone, you know, boutique firms. And you said after yourself and another biller, the next two hires were marketing. So that just shows how much you're committed to you know, investing in marketing, generating inbound leads, building your brand, supporting your customers to build their their employer brands, which then allows you to attract excellent people because they want to work at Blue Signal because look at all the stuff that, you know, you're providing for people. And then you also are able to retain them uh, as well. So that is, that's phenomenal. Um, the second thing is that you're setting up your business so that your your billers are only focused on the things that are revenue generating. And a lot of the administration, the sourcing, the scheduling of interviews and stuff is done for them. So, I mean, that's something that everyone listening can definitely take away. How much of your time are you doing things that don't directly contribute to revenue? And, and why? Why are you doing that? Why can't you delegate that whether it's to a, a virtual assistant in the Philippines, whether it's someone who's going to sit in the office with you or work remotely in your, uh, in your own country. Um, Annie, I know you had more stuff that you were going to share with us. So what, what, what are your other top one or two key things that have helped you to level up your billings over time? Sure. I guess the other things that I would say somewhat go hand in hand with becoming more niche, which is saying no to opportunities and walking away from searches when you know that they're impossible to fill or the client is just being unreasonable in terms of what they're looking for, or if they're just searches where you're up against um, multiple agencies. At, at some point in our time, we stopped going up against any more than one other recruiting agency just because we're boutique and every search matters and we need to focus our time where we have a high probability to fill. So walking away from searches was a big one, I'd say. And then changing our fee structures and being more creative 
that came from Danny Cahill, who's gotten a lot of airtime here because he is a mastermind of ideas. And that was something we changed in terms of rolling out our fee structures and offering clients different models in which they could um, partner with the Cardea group in terms of finding solutions to their, their search needs. Okay. Love it. Are you, uh, can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by creative, you know, fee structures? So we had, I, I grew up being a complete contingency recruiter. So all of my searches for the first decade of recruiting were on a no, no win, no fee or um, no fill, no fee uh, circumstance. So unless we placed the individual, we were working for free and not receiving any sort of commissions or, or compensation. And that's a great model for a lot of people. I think once you've become more established in your career and have the specialty that our team here at Cardea Group has, has gathered in, the, in our industry, you can offer more robust search processes by rolling out different fee options. So we now we recruit on a contingency basis, predominantly if we're exclusive with the team, maybe against one other. Um, otherwise, we do an engaged search, which is an upfront fee that comes off of the total fee upon completion of the search. And we're getting much more heavily into the retained search model right now as well. Love it. Um, you said so. In terms of the transition from contingent to retained, uh, and you and walking away from jobs, um, what would be an example of a something that is not worth your time? Like, how what clients do you say no to, or what's the what are the red flags? There are a lot of red flags. Uh, again, there are firms that have reputations in our industry in which we know there's very high turnover. Know the hiring managers are not great people to work for. Um, ultimately, it it could be something as, as simple as reputation-based or turnover rate of the organization, because similar to Matt, we're in the business of trying to help make meaningful, long-lasting relationships. It's not a placement for us. It's hopefully making really helpful introductions for our candidates that will change their careers, as well as fantastic matches for the clients where they have somebody that will be in the seat for the longer term. We have a really strong um, average in terms of years people stay in the positions that we've placed them in. And I think we take a lot of pride in that. And that's kind of, again, similar to Matt's model, which is not about just making placements, but about making successful career changes and transitions for people. Mm -hmm. um, other reasons why you might not take on a search, again, if there are too many other agencies working on it, if it's um, unreasonable compensation expectations for the market, having, again, when you are a specialist and you know your niche, niche and you know what the compensation is and if a client's just not willing to pay or is being unrealistic about the expectations of qualifications compared to the compensation that they're willing to pay, these are times that we're willing to walk as well as understanding you know, more about what they, where this position is going to go to. Like if, they're, if, if what they're looking for is not aligned with what a lot of the candidates are seeking at that qualification level, it, it's tough, right? So we're just trying to make sure that we're spending our time with the clients that we have the candidate pool to help identify the needs internally for their organizations. It makes total sense, right? Because think about it, there's no way to become a top producer if a lot of your time you're wasting and spending on things that aren't going to generate revenue, right? So the more of your time you can focus on generating revenue, um, 
the 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 better. So we do need to, to apply that filter. I don't know if you guys have this, but I'm happy to share with anyone listening. We have a job order scorecard that we share with our clients. So if you send us an email uh, to just send it to mark.whitby at recruitmentcoach.com. I'm happy to share a, a copy of that with you. That just allows you to you know, score your jobs and decide, is it worth working on, number one? And if so, or are there opportunities to uh, upgrade the search by letting the client know where the deficiencies are and giving them an opportunity to improve that? So for example, if you don't have access to the hiring manager, you have to deal with HR only, for example, that's negotiable. You could go back and say, look, as it stands, we can't assign any you know, resource to your project because it's got a low probability of success. If you could do this, this, and this, then you know that would open things up for us. Um, guys, this is, I'm gonna toss an unscripted question at you that I haven't, you know, you, you haven't prepared for, um, but it was inspired by something Matt said earlier, which really grabbed my attention. He said that their number one objective or mission, I can't remember the word he describes, is to change lives. And they have a goal of changing 20,000 lives. And I would love to learn a little more about why you do what you do. What is your your why or the purpose behind, you know, the the you know, the sex success that you guys have? What does that mean to you? What does that represent to you? Why is that important to you? And while you're thinking about that, Alan, can I ask you to queue up and let me know um like if from the questions that we've had in so far in the in the Q&A uh, have you have you identified two or three that you know you think are are good questions that will benefit the most number of listeners? Lots of questions, Mark, about business development and what specific okay. tactics each, each of the panelists is using. Great. Okay, so let's uh, let's do that next. So, Matt, could you speak a little on this twenty thousand lives changed and how that's just really powerful? How did you come up with that, and why is that important? So we did it through EOS entrepreneurial operating system um, mm -hmm. and they have what's called the VTO. So anyone who's using EOS will understand what that means. And it's called the, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. I'm not crazy about that term, but whatever, that's what it's called. And so we did 20,000 lives changed by 1231, 2032. That's our VTO, the whole company knows. And then of course there's a bunch of other stuff down below it. We share that with everybody. They, they see it. So they, they're all behind the why. Um, and when you talk about it in, in changing lives, which we're doing for me, it's not just changing a candidate's life by, by getting them a new job or changing a client's life by getting them an amazing executive team. So now they can focus on their kids. It's also our internal employees. Um, mm. like we've had folks that they're, they're, they're running their own firm right now. Maybe they're a one or two person shop they're, they're All they can do is, is what they're doing. Come over here. We'll make you build twice as much working half as less. And you'll put even more money in your pocket while also changing these lives. So I'm changing lives of the people that come over here. We've taken folks. I don't like to use the word off the street, but we're taking folks that don't have a career path or they're whatever off the street. And we're coming over here. We're teaching them this way. We're showing them everything and they're building lives. They're building generational wealth. They're able to have this amazing lifestyle go you know, work remotely for a couple months, go do whatever you need to do. Like I've seen some of our employees have made placements working from another country for months on end. And so for us, it's, yeah, we have our metrics, we have our KPIs, but at the end of the day, if you're doing a great job, we don't care. Like don't make a single call. Don't send a single text. If you're getting the send outs and getting the goals, awesome. Just don't cost us money and, and have your own life. So it's changing that life in addition to our candidates' lives and our clients' lives. 
on the VTO, of course, that's more specific to the clients. Awesome. I can hear how passionate you are about that. That's phenomenal. Um, Annie, what's, what, why do you do what you do? I love what I do. So I feel like just having a passion for being an executive recruitment and the matchmaking that we do has always been something I'm so grateful that I found very early on in my career. I am very good at what I do. And so I love being able to go to work every day, knowing that I am doing something that I'm very skilled at, as well as impacting the people around me. So like I mentioned, we have a really longstanding um, great track record of placing people into positions that they've stayed in for a long period of time and and similar to Matt, but on a different capacity, I think not just impacting the firm that's hiring these individuals and these people that stay in these firms and grow and take on much larger positions, earn a whole lot more in terms of compensation, but the their circle that is thereby affected by that, their families, the people that they impact um, through having these opportunities to be in executive positions is is tremendous. So I love being a matchmaker. It's always been something I've loved since I was in middle and high school. Like I love all of my circles <laughs> colliding. So I'm in a business where I get to have all of my circles collide and be the conduit to a lot of introductions. And it gives me great joy when I see something work in a really impactful and sometimes, you know, magnetic way. Love it. Awesome. Same question to you, Joe. What, why do you do what you do? Well, I'll give you my lame answer before I give you Rico's answer, which is great. Um, you know, for me, um, I think um, I've learned to be grateful for this business and for everything that I've been blessed with. Um, I think my drive, why do I do what I do, comes from, um, uh, for me, it, it goes into the parable of the talent. Uh, we've all been given a set of talents, and I believe that we're called to maximize those talents for good. And it's exactly like Matt and Annie said, where we're, our impact can stretch far and wide in this business, but also um, what you do in this business can also be a tool or a mechanism for you to make impact outside of this business. Um, because some of you have flexibility. Some of you make a lot of money. Some of you have freedom of time. And those are resources that you can now take to other places to make an impact. So, so uh, so we enjoy making positive impact on our clients, our candidates, the people that work here and, and the community around us. So that's my lame answer. And now I'll cue the real answer as he brings me my coffee. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, Rico, you know, I like more cream than that. Sorry. Uh, we're very <laughs> ill resourced. So Rico is also my executive assistant when I'm not busy being his executive assistant. And why does he do this? As Will Ferrell said in Step Brothers. I want to make bank, bro. I want to get ass. I want to drive a Range Rover. <laughs> All right. Hilarious. Thanks. Good to hear Rico's, Joe's interpretation of Rico's why. Um, Alan, so I get is, is the most important question is around BD, right? Yeah. Okay. So can I ask each of you, like, what right now is the most effective thing that you're doing to develop new business, Annie? So I am old school MPC marketing. So taking a most placeable candidate and marketing them to potential hiring managers, 
The only way we've really differentiated ourselves in the past couple of years is by not just doing this with cold calls and emails, but now we do cold calls, emails, and video introductions to these candidates. So I think that's differentiating us in our space in terms of just bringing to life and changing up the rhetoric, if you will, in terms of how we're presenting these individuals to market. So that's our, our biggest means of, of BD right now. And also just tracking news um, in basically in the industry that I'm in, there are new fund launches and funds that are raising assets and just, you know, mindfully tracking them, knowing that they may have new headcount due to uh, new assets under management. All right. Both extremely smart. Uh, Annie, just to clarify the videos that you're sending, is that a video of the candidate or is that a video of you selling the candidates, you know, quantifiable achievements and what they would bring to the table? The latter. So it's me marketing them. So it's ultimately what my voicemail or email email might otherwise say, but just bringing it to life a bit with the video and a, a brief a brief profile of the individual to the side of the video through our platform. I love that. That's super cool. Thanks, Matt. So I guess I would have three different buckets. Uh, obviously, I talked about before the warm bucket is inbound leads. So we have a whole strategy to get as many inbound leads as we can, whether it's through our blogs, through our retargeting campaigns, through our geo positioning, through SEO and AdWords and blah, blah, blah. I won't bore you on all that stuff. That's a whole nother topic altogether. The cold side is as Annie identified NPC. I mean, you call that person that has a need with the answer or a solution to that. Of course, they're going to come back to you uh, no matter what it is. So that is that is gold. That never goes anywhere. And then if I'm going to meet in the middle on the not so cold BD that's working, I would say recruiting through uh, BD through recruiting. So by that, of course, you're going, you have a job, you have an awesome job. You branded it so amazingly that, you know, that was a, either it's a okay client or a good client. You made them look great. Now you're going to everybody out there that could be potentially a fit for it. You're going to the level above that. You're going to a level above that, asking them, who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? By the way, this is how we recruit. We're actually picking up the phone, calling people. Uh, so they'll naturally think. For example, let's say you're working on a senior accountant, you go to an accounting manager and say, who's the best senior account that used to work for you? Or who's the person that got away? Or who's one of the best ones you trained? Half the time they're going to say, are you kidding me? If I knew that person, I'd hire him. All right. Well, what a coincidence. This is the search I'm working on. So that's been working really well. And then references. I feel like recruiters so often like, oh, I don't want to do references. And that's just such a time waste. And uh, they should be doing the references. But there is so much gold there. I mean, think about it. You are talking to the person who reports to the person you're trying to place. <laughs> like it's it's gold. Um, were they good? Were they better? Uh, who else do you know? And then so references and uh, BD through recruiting are the ones in the middle for the not so cool. So those are the four strategies we're using. I love it. Fantastic. BD through recruiting. That's a huge takeaway. Um, that's one of those nuances, guys. Remember we at the beginning of this, I said, it's those little nuances, key distinctions that, you know, make a huge difference between doing okay or being doing good and doing great. Joe, what's your go-to BD strategy? Yeah, I think it would probably be the thing. I think it's the same as what Matt just shared, if I heard that correctly, which we call it the two-purpose approach is when um, you are rec reaching out to a candidate to recruit them for a job, but they also um, hire candidates that you might be able to place. And so we might say, um, Mark, I'm reaching out to you for two reasons. I have a XYZ opportunity in XYZ city with a great company. Secondly, I've got a XYZ type of a candidate with these credentials. And so when we reach out, we try to have two purposes in every single outreach. 
And I think that's the key to good uh, business development is that you're always marketing. A lot of times I would get wide eyes and get really excited when I got a big search and I would get laser focused on filling the search and I would forsake all the opportunities that that afforded me to develop business to the point that I will cast, if you get a search that's 200, 300, 400,000 salary, chances are that's a hiring manager. I will go very, very broad on my outreach. You might say there's some even folks on there that aren't qualified for the job. And, and, and look, I know every recruiter out there can nod and say, hey, does every person out there that makes $150,000 think they're qualified for the $600,000 job? Yeah, they, it's just, hey, it's, it's just, you know, apples and oranges. All I have to do is supervise 100 more people. What's the big deal? So we'll put a pretty broad outreach onto our recruitment efforts so that um, these individuals who, if I were to send them a biz dev email, hey, I noticed you need a director of XYZ, call me back, I can fill that job. I'm gonna get called back or responded to less than 1% of the time. If I send that out a thousand times, I'm getting responded to less than 10. But if I do the two purpose, hey, I have a big job with these credentials and I have a candidate. Now I'm getting responded to much more. I have an opportunity to possibly get a candidate for my job I have an opportunity to get a new job order. That is our number one technique. And I think the second thing is recruiters, and, and I came to learn this myself, our footprint is not as heavy as you think. You know, we think that, well, I just emailed them last week. I can't email them again. I don't want them to get sick of me. We all manage an inbox. And we know that we have a lot of emails now that come into the inbox that usually get deleted. You don't know who it's from. You don't know what it says. And that's what happens to our emails and our outreach and our phone calls. So your footprint is not as heavy as you think it is. Keep sending business development approaches of all different sorts. And every time you have a chance to do the two purpose, you, you absolutely have to use that opportunity. I love that two purpose approach. That's really cool. Fantastic. Three phen phenomenal answers. Well, listen, everyone, that has been, I mean, that's just gone past in a, in the blink of an eye, it felt like five minutes. So many great insights and ideas there. Um, what I'd love is if you guys in your in the uh, Q&A box there, open it up and let us know what's one thing you're going to action based on today's session? What's your key takeaway or action point? I'd love to uh, I'd love to see what those have been. And Alan, thank you so much for organizing this. It's been an honor and a privilege to uh, be the host. I love my job because I get to learn from people of the quality of Matt, Annie, and Joe, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real blessing. And thank you all for sharing your knowledge so generously. Thanks, Mark, Joe, Matt, and Andrea. Thank you so much for hosting us. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Alan. Have an awesome day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really wanna help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.